The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that chronicles the journey, the challenges, and the struggles surrounding the life of Aviator Tony, a career airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 11 of Squawk Ident, recorded on the 27th of December, 2019, from Studio 1025 on the 10th floor of the Renaissance Hotel in Fort Worth, Texas. On this episode of Squawk Ident, we're going to bring to you From the Flight Line, a five-day trip I took a week ago with layovers in Cancun, Las Vegas, and on the island of Maui. We'll also talk about the running I was able to perform on Maui and how I pushed through the barrier of getting out there when you just don't feel like strapping on some running shoes. And from there we were, we're going to discuss stories of pilots and flight crews behaving badly while on the job. All this and more on this episode of Squawk Ident. But before we dive into it, a quick word from our sponsors. gentlemen welcome back to the show well before we begin i'd like to just take a moment and again thank dom z from the breaker breaker podcast for coming into the studio for episode 10 we had a great time hanging out and playing with all the new gadgets that uh, i've acquired over the past few weeks and uh unfortunately that past episode was cut a little bit short because of some technical difficulties But, uh, you know, you live and learn. So on this episode, uh, I thought I'd kind of catch up since we didn't talk about the flight line uh, stories and the usual segments that I try to cover throughout the Squawk Ident podcast every week. So let's start it up with From the Flight Line. Well, my schedule uh, over the past few weeks has been uh, pretty good. Uh, Let's start out with the 15th. I had about seven days off in a row, which is not typical, but it does happen in the schedule. Uh, The reason I had so many days off in a row was because I kind of backloaded the month, meaning that I had a heavy schedule towards the end of the month. The first few weeks were very light in my schedule, but the last two weeks are very heavy. So, and I'm actually in that second part right now with the last two weeks of the month being kind of heavy. So let's back up to the 15th of November. Uh, I started a five-day trip. Uh, it's actually a four-day trip, but it's spilled, in, uh, spilled on to the fifth day because of the red eye that the trip ended with. 
Uh, but it started out with an LA to DFW, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. And that was on Friday the 15th. Uh, from there, we had a, about an hour and a half sit and then off to Cancun. Now, I've been to Cancun a few times and it's always uh, kind of a nice trip, especially this time of year when it's getting a little colder outside and you get to go down to Cancun and, and, and stay in the tropical weather. Uh, and unfortunately, it was a very short overnight. And for those of you that follow on social media, you can see some of the photos uh, that I posted there on uh, that overnight, that layover. And it was really, we got in, uh, was it 11 o'clock at night by the time we got to the hotel, 11, 11.30. So, you know, off to bed because, you know, it's a long day of flying and you're tired. And in the morning, I had just enough time to get up and have some breakfast and uh, go back to the room and, and get ready and repack and get ready to go. So that trip was relatively short uh, for that overnight, but then it was off to Charlotte uh, where we swapped aircraft a couple hours there, just enough time to grab a quick bite, and then off to Las Vegas. Now, Vegas overnight, you're thinking, wow, you know, cool, did you go to the Strip and did you did you go to the casino? No, uh, none of that happened. So we, we get in at 8 o'clock at night. Uh, it was a relatively long day, so it's Cancun, Charlotte, Charlotte to Vegas, and just enough time to get to the hotel, and by the time we got to the hotel, which, by the way, is nowhere near the Strip, there's nothing there, there's nothing around, and not even uh, not even a place at the hotel to grab uh, a quick bite or, or a quick beer or something, if you have the time, uh, and in this case, we didn't. Everything was shut down, and that's it, so off to bed. And that's where we kind of caught up on the sleep a little bit. We had a little bit longer overnight there, but not by much, just about 14 hours. And then uh, off to Los Angeles, where we had a good sit, swapped airplanes, and headed out to Maui. And it was a relatively uneventful trip. Uh, the weather was decent uh, all the way in. A little bit of uh, thunderstorm buildup in Maui. We actually had to divert around some cells and got a bump or two on the descent. But uh, by the time we were getting close enough to the airport, uh, we ended up having to perform an ILS. That's an instrument landing system. Uh, type of approach where you're uh, looking at the instruments inside the cockpit, not looking outside at an airport, and which we do even if even if it's visual conditions, we still always monitor the instruments inside the cockpit on the arrival and on the approach. And um, this situation, it was down not quite to minimums, about a thousand foot overcast layer and moderate rain. Uh, Maui's a relatively short runway, so it's kind of a maximum effort to get the airplane on the ground and stopped safely uh, before the turnoff. And everything went okay. Uh, it was actually my landing. It was a pretty good landing. I was pretty proud of it, uh, especially being with the conditions, uh, what they were, a little windy, a little wet. Uh, and, you know, when you have to use the wipers uh, on the aircraft, yes, we do have uh, rain wipers or precipitation type wipers on the screens of the airplane. We used those and we landed, uh, turned off the runway, parked to the gate. And of course it's tropical 80 degrees and a little bit of rain, pretty humid. Uh, it was actually, it was really nice. So off to the hotel and there we had a nice 30 hour overnight. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, that overnight 
a little bit later in the show. So this is it. This was the the trip uh, after a full day in Maui, uh, enough to get uh, even three meals in before we had to head back to the airport. Now, that red-eye flight back to Los Angeles was a relatively uneventful flight. I had plenty of rest the night before, so it was not too much of a big deal. Uh, pretty good conversations had in the cockpit. Uh, we got some crew meals uh, handed to us midway over the Pacific. And, you know, you, you really can't ask for, for much more. I landed in Los Angeles around 4.30 in the morning. Relatively early, it was still dark. And by the time I got to my vehicle in the employee lot, uh, the sun was coming up and it did help a little bit with that drive home. Uh, so yeah, that was my five-day trip. I then had a couple days off and then came back to the airport to do a two-day trip. And the two-day trip was a Charlotte overnight and one leg back. So one leg out to Charlotte, one leg back. And something really interesting happened on the way to Charlotte. And, you know, these things, it's kind of weird how they happen. You know, here we are on episode 10, sitting there uh, with a friend of mine, Dom Z, in the studio talking about the strange and unusual things that uh, Breaker Breaker, his podcast, is all about. And so here we were talking about strange things, hauntings, and, uh, you know, strange sightings and whatnot. Just, you know, had a great time talking about it. And on the radio, we're hearing aircraft talk about uh, these lights that are above them, ahead of them. And they were asking ATC, hey, what are these airplanes circling above? It looks like four or five airplanes circling above. Uh, What's going on there? You know, they're thinking the military exercise, that they're doing some kind of... uh, you know, holds at high altitude and air traffic controller that didn't know anything about it, didn't have anything on their scope. And I found it uh, interesting enough that I marked the time and went on liveatc.net and looked at the archives for that frequency at that time. And I was able to find it. And I want to play a little bit of it for you now. Hey, Senator American 2825 question. American 2825, uh, go ahead. Yeah, just looking out in front of us, it looks like, I uh, can't tell the dis- distance, but looks like uh, a whole bunch of aircraft circling, uh, maybe 50 miles, 60 miles ahead of us, above us. American 2825, I don't know anything about that. Let me see if I can see some. Thank you. Just uh, interesting watching them keep doing circles. Yeah, I don't see anybody circling out in front of you at any altitude. Um, uh, there's a couple of targets coming off of Memphis, but they're very low altitude. Interesting. Uh, United, uh, 1554 has been going off. 2825, where are you seeing us? Uh, dead ahead, um, maybe just uh, east of Memphis, and it looks like they're above us, so I could guess maybe.
2825. Roger. 2825 for weather. Uh, deviations right, of course, are approved. Label for direct jack. Say again, the, uh, the uh, six. Uh, Juliet Kilo Sierra, Austria, November. Uh, American 2825, one able, uh, right deviation. That's this, circling. Oh, yeah, we got him. He's up there, too. Looks like multiple targets. Uh, minimum three, possibly four or five. Seven. I also got your report, and United 1554, I got your report of the unidentified aircraft. Who else saw it? we see also. Uh, 1701, uh, uh, where did you see it exactly? Uh, there's 12 o'clock, uh, just off our nose, but off in the distance. Moving uh, right to left, kind of south, towards towards kind of as they out, as they go lower, and then we see them starting up higher on the same, same track. Probably see it between lights, so. 350. Delta 825, that's the roger. United 2927. Contact Memphis Center 127.37. They'll have deviations if needed. All right, uh, 2737. Good day, Delta uh, 2927. I haven't seen them in the last minute or two. Gotcha. So that was the recording that uh, I was able to pull off live ATC.net. And I was able to pull out a lot of the dead air that um, actually happens in between the talking there. Uh, but as you can see from the conversation that the aircraft were having with ATC, that there was definitely some lights of some kind going on. And they were querying, you know, what's going on? Do you see them? And there's obviously an explanation. It was probably either a military aircraft or something uh, that had multiple lights on it. Who knows? It could have been a drone, right? So we're never going to know. But, you know, interesting things happen while we're on the flight line. And these kind of things, uh, I'm sure, can be explained. But when you don't know what's going on, it's kind of freaky to see that uh, while you're flying along. Now, I found that really interesting. You know, I was thinking, what are the odds, right? You, know, you don't see anything for months, if not years, and then all of a sudden you hear all this chatter on the radio right after you do an episode uh, in relation to the strange and unusual things you hear. Uh, so I just thought that was pretty cool, and I'm, I'm glad I got to share it with you. Another interesting uh, thing that happened that I wanted to just share was something that has to do with something that we call CRM or TEM. Now, you know, pilots, aviation, we have countless number of acronyms for everything, and you can't even get them straight. And there's actually some very comical uh, videos on YouTube that uh, kind of make fun of the fact that pilots just juggle these acronyms around like their, their second nature. So what is CRM? 
a CRM is crew resource management. This is a term that was developed, in, I think it was around the early 90s, and it was a way to prevent uh, this kind of totalitarian, uh, you know, captain rules everything, you got to do what I say or, or else, even if it's wrong or dangerous or unsafe. And, of course, there were some incidences, and this caused the FA to kind of look into a way to make sure that we have a more balanced cockpit or flight line. Now, I, I kind of dug into it, and Legacy Airline uh, defines CRM as the effective use of all resources, humanware, hardware, and software to achieve safe, efficient flight operations. Now, CRM was the, I think, first generation of this uh, term to have a good communicating crew to promote efficiency and safety uh, on the flight line. Other industries have developed this over the years, primarily uh, in the medical field. Uh, physicians now use these terms regularly, like CRM and checklist and whatnot. Well, in the past few years, the FAA has now uh, defined a new term, and the acronym for this is TEM. And what it is defined as, uh, according, again, to legacy airlines, is threat and error management. And it's a method as uh, managing and or mitigating the effects of threats and errors before they become consequential. And it is the goal of threat and error management uh, to as a first step in understanding TEM uh, is defining threats, uh, the crew factors, the errors, and understanding aircraft states. So it's a, it's a way to trap errors before they become a problem. Uh, you may have heard this referred to as the Swiss cheese model. And if you can imagine uh, layers of Swiss cheese, you know, you have threats that are coming at you constantly. And in the first layer, most of them are being trapped, but a few get through those little holes and they get to the next layer and then more are trapped, but then a few get through those holes and so on and so forth. And hopefully by the end of the row, as is depicted in most of the graphs that we have around our schoolhouse, uh, you're trying to do your best to trap these errors and manage them before they get out of hand. So these are some definitions of threat and error management and CRM. My first lesson that I had for CRM, I was actually uh, an instrument rated pilot learning how to fly. Change, you know, I had changed my career to become a pilot and I was going through some rigorous training. And part of that training involved a ground school class that was taught by, at the time, a furloughed Masaba pilot who had come to the flight school to do some ground training in order to generate a little bit of income, stay in the aviation world while he waited for that recall. And uh, as we discussed in some previous episodes, we know what furlough is, is when a company downsizes and they lay off a pilot for a period of time. So he explained some stories from the flight line and I found it very interesting. Uh, and one of the stories that he told is a story that stuck with me uh, to this day. And, and that was a story that he explained when he was an FO 
he was flying uh, an Avro jet. It's a uh, four jet engine high wing aircraft uh, that he uh, comically referred to as having five APUs, uh, auxiliary power units. APUs are there to generate power. They're turbine engines generating electricity for the aircraft. They don't produce any thrust. So it's quite you know, a funny anecdote that an Avro aircraft is a high-wing aircraft that has very small engines, so therefore it has five APUs instead of four engines and an APU. So anyway, he, uh, he explains that uh, he was flying along, and this was back in the age when Palm Pilots were a big deal. They were new. Uh, people could use this electronic calendar option that they had on it. Palm Pilots were, were becoming more and more popular for business executives and for frequent uh, flyers. So the scenario was they were at cruise altitude, and the first officer, the, the instructor that was teaching the class, was explaining how he had just downloaded this electronic flight log. So we, as pilots, we have to always log our flights uh, as a record to keep uh, truck drivers do the same. Uh, they, they keep track of their rest and how much uh, driving time. And we as pilots uh, are you know, recommended that we record how what our flight time is and the conditions and whatnot it's very important also when you're trying to get a job they ask you what kind of flight time do you have and they get pretty specific and usually want to see flight logs uh, for the interview so in this scenario the first officer was on his palm pilot putting in his electronic flight log uh, totals in and they got a call from the back of the airplane from the cabin and it was their number one flight attendant. It was an older lady who was complaining that a passenger was using their phone. And she had told the passenger to put it away. And they both looked at each other like, well, what phone works at 37,000 feet, whatever they were at? You know, that doesn't make any sense. But they're like, well, what do you mean he's on his phone? She says, well, he's typing away on his phone. He's got one of those fancy new phones, and, and he won't turn it off. I've told him multiple times that phones need to be turned off for the flight, and he's not listening to me. And the FO was looking at his Palm Pilot, knowing exactly what was happening. This was probably a uh, a frequent flyer, a business person that was working. They were you know, using their calendar. So... He's like, oh, okay. And the captain says, okay, we'll, we'll take care of it. So the captain looks over at the first officer and says, okay, how do you think we should handle this? And the FO goes, well, obviously he's not on a phone. Phones don't work up here, you know. He's probably using his Palm Pilot of some kind or a Blackberry. Who knows? And, you know, she's she just doesn't know what she's talking about. And the captain goes, okay, so what do you think we should do? And he goes, well, I, you know, I don't know. I'm probably just, you know, not going to inconvenience this guy. The captain goes, I'll take care of it. So he makes a PA and he says, well, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. And unfortunately, for security purposes, we have to ask that all passengers turn off all electronic devices for the remainder of the flight. Now, in a post 9-11 uh, era, and this was soon after 9-11, so it wasn't very uh, uh, far removed in everyone's minds, and everyone complied. 
and this passenger put away his phone. And the FO looks over at the captain and says, well, what'd you do that for? You know, you know, that guy's going to get pissed, you know, and the captain goes, well, listen, we got to fly with her all month long. This is just the beginning of the month. It's just the first, you know, few legs. And we're going to have to fly with her all month long. If we piss her off now, you know, CRM goes out the window. You know, if something happens in the back, she's not going to care, you know. So this is what we're going to do. When we get to the overnight, uh, we're going to offer to buy her dinner. We're going to take her uh, to the, the local restaurant and we're going we're gonna to buy her dinner. I'll buy, he says. And what I want you to do during dinner is pull out your phone and explain to her that you can turn the phone mode off and then you can use it as a calendar or as an organizer, as a logbook, as what you're doing now. And, um, and that way you can explain to her what's going on. That way she is not embarrassed now. Uh, she doesn't feel like she's ignored by us, and which will create a bad um, crew resource management, you know, a bad vibe. Puts up barriers of communication. And we don't want that. Uh, and she'll realize what we did. And then she'll be grateful because we were, you know, backing up our crew. Uh, and we, so we inconvenienced the passenger for probably the remainder of the flight, which was about 30 minutes as he explained it. But with her, you know, we're going to fly with her all month and she's going to be appreciative of what we did. And we're going to have a good month together. So isn't that the better way to go? And he was like, wow, that's actually, that's a good idea. So CRM is actually a very important thing, a very important part of what we do. Um, it's not just flying airplanes and pushing buttons and landing. Uh, it also has to do with uh, taking care of people, learning personalities, and being really uh, a champion of your crew. So that team is very much a big part of it. And the reason it came to mind this week, uh, this past week, I should say, is because on one of my flights, uh, I believe it was the Dallas to Cancun flight. It was the evening flight leaving Dallas-Fort Worth out of the international terminal. And I approached the gate and I noticed that, you know, my captain that I've been flying with uh, earlier in, in the past few days was there p pulling up paperwork and looking at weather as, as we normally do. And I also noticed uh, a flight attendant. Now, normally we meet the flight attendants when we board the aircraft. They're usually on the aircraft already, but because it was an international flight, they had to do a security search and you know, clean the aircraft and, and make sure it was catered and stocked up. So we usually don't uh, go down to the aircraft till that's all completed. So we had about uh, 15 minutes at the gate to chit chat. And I approached uh, one of our flight attendants who was sitting there and introduced myself, said hello, and asked about uh, her week and how it was going and how she was doing. And, and, and basically tried to strike a conversation that would promote positive CRM. I didn't do this intentionally. I just did this naturally. And I ended up finding out in those 15 minutes a lot about a member of my crew that I had just met for the first time. And after chatting with her and the gate agent said, okay, we're ready for you to board. So we went in and swiped in and did our thing and, and started walking down the jet bridge. And she says to me, you know, I just have to say, thank you for being cool. 
And I just kind of stopped in my tracks and said, what? She goes, you know, thank you for being cool. You know, it's, it's a rarity nowadays to have uh, cool pilots like you guys that, you know, take the time to say hello and to chit chat and to, to get to know me a little bit. Uh, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years and, you know, I've lived a, a pretty good life, but have my struggles and, and it's just so much better to come to work and have pilots that, you know, take the time. And I said, well, what do you mean? What do you mean pilots don't normally talk to you and chit chat? And she said, well, she goes, it just depends. She goes, a lot of times, you know, you guys just go in the cockpit and, you know, get your checklist and your flows right away. You say hello and, and, and the captain gives a brief and then that's it. That's the last we hear of you. We land, we say goodbye, nice flight and, and so on. And I'm like, yeah, I guess, I guess we've become a society where we do our job and we, we kind of get in and we get out and we don't really spend the time. Uh, like we should. And and that's partly because of us and it's partly because of the company and efficiency and, you know, how quick our turns are. We don't really fly all month long together like we used to back in the old days. And she's like, yeah, you know, every leg, it's a different crew. But, uh, but you know, you guys, you guys just spent just a few minutes and you guys really made my day. Thank you. And, you know, afterwards we got in the cockpit and the captain and I talked a little bit about it and, and he goes, yeah, that, that was nice for her to say. And, it really sparked a good trip. It just made it all that much better. And that is the essence of what crew resource management is. So as I talked about earlier in the opener, the uh, Maui overnight was a nice long overnight. I got in at a decent time, got to sleep in a little bit. But of course, being uh, at this time with the daylight savings, it's about a two hour time difference from Pacific time. So I woke up a lot earlier than I wanted to. And, and this is a very common thing uh, with us when we go to Hawaii. I mean, you think, oh, yeah, you had a long day, long flight, long week, whatever. You're going to sleep in because you got a nice long overnight. But when the body clock says, hey, it's, you know, 7 a.m. your time, I know it's only 5 a.m. Hawaii time, but I think you need to start getting up, you know, you, you open an eye and all of a sudden you hear the roosters. Oh, yeah, it's Hawaii. There's chickens and roosters everywhere. And they wake you up and you think, well, I'm up and I should probably go for a run. I haven't gone for a run in a while. I did... Uh, post a few photos from uh, a couple trips ago and I did a nice long run and I decided today I brought all my gear with me it's this no excuse I've got to get out there I got to stay healthy and fit and you know I occasionally like to have a, a relatively uh, unhealthy meal and the best way to combat the effects of that is to get my regular exercise so I strapped on my shoes and I went out for a run I only intended to run about four to five miles, which is a lot, but when you're a slow-paced distance runner uh, like myself, you know, you're, it's just a nice easy run, and you get to see a lot of the island that way. And it was, it was a beautiful opportunity to get out there. It was a Sunday morning, and it was superb. I ended up running eight miles. At the end of it, I was not tired. I was not sore. I took my time. I took walk breaks. I even stopped into a, uh, an ABC store 
and grabbed a uh, bottle of Gatorade and a snack. And the coolest part about that run is that if you map it out correctly from the layover hotel that we stay in in Wailea, you can run southbound around the southern or the southwestern side of the island. And you can run to the Wailea Beach Park where you can hit the sand, run along the beach, and it turns into the Wailea Beach Path, which is a, a walking path that goes between the shoreline and all the resorts. And you get to see all these beautiful resort hotels and all the amenities that they have and they're offering their guests. And it's open to the public because the beaches there are all public. And so you can run down there. It's about three and a half, four miles uh, to the end. And then I usually head inland a little bit and run along the golf course uh, back northbound and back towards uh, Wailea and the city uh, where the hotel is. So, you know, running out there, getting out there, I didn't have to. I could have just easily just said, well, you know, maybe I'll go to the gym later or something. But, you know, getting out there in the morning, right as the sun's coming up, you know, listening to the birds and the animals and the things that I don't normally get to witness on the mainland. It really is refreshing and great for the soul. You know, running has been a big passion of mine, and I, I love doing it, especially on overnights. Uh, and I feel better about myself later on when I am with the crew and having a good IPA and some chicken wings. And I'm, I'm really not too worried about it because I'm getting my fitness in and when I can. And I intend to be around for a long time. So uh, I'm going to keep it up, and I hope you do too. So... A couple of people have asked me, you know, what kind of gear do you bring? You know, do you, do you have a GPS watch? What do you use to track all your stuff? And, you know, at the beginning of uh, my exploration of running, I, you know, would have all the, the GPS watch and the headphones and all that stuff. And somewhere in, I think it was marathon training back in 2015 when I ran the, uh, the Long Beach Marathon. And... For that run, I went totally minimalist. I had nothing but a watch and my running shoes and, and, and clothes on. And it really changed the way I look at running. Uh, before, I had to have my tunes on. You know, I had to make sure I had, uh, at the time, I think I was using Pandora. And I had to have my running watch and my sunglasses and my, my running hat. And everything had to be just right, you know. Um, and then after that marathon, I realized, well, you know, one of these fit belts that can hold a couple of gel packs and, uh, you know, the water bottle is not a big deal. You can just use a one that you can toss and recycle. And, uh, the tunes were not as important as I thought they would be. Um, and I started going without, but now I kind of have, uh, when I'm not training for any particular event, I just, I, put on my running shoes. I like New Balance shoes. Uh, you know, Captain in Training, white New Balances. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I use a, a minimalist, uh, like with a zero drop uh, New Balance uh, foam fresh, I think it's called, uh, running shoes. And I, you know, running shorts and, and a tank top and I go for a run. Uh, I do wear a hat, try to keep the sun off my face. I do use a Garmin. I believe it's a Garmin 
a running watch, a 430 maybe. I'm not quite sure the exact model. It's an older one. It's nothing fancy. And the only reason I carry that is so that I don't have to mess with my phone at all. I do bring a phone with me just in case I, I fall or hurt myself or, you know, I get lost. I can use the map. Um, and how do you keep a phone from flopping around, especially a big smartphone? So I use a fit belt. It's a neoprene belt that goes around your waist and, and you can put your phone inside of it and, uh, no zippers or anything. Uh, it doesn't flop around. It doesn't have an elastic band. It's just one continuous loop. And I love it. I've had that one actually since I ran the Huntington uh, Beach event and I swear by it. And if I don't have it, actually, it bothers me. Uh, but that's it. A good pair of running glasses. And if I'm running for more than an hour, which is rare, then I make sure I bring a sport drink of some kind with me. So I encourage you to get out there and run. It's very important to stay fit, especially in this day and age. And if you enjoy a good IPA and some wings like I do from occasion, then it's great for the waistline as well. You guessed it, ladies and gentlemen. And now it's time for There We Were. When pilots and flight crew behave badly. Now, earlier we talked about always backing up your crew. But sometimes your crew member that is asking for you to back them up may not be in the right. As a matter of fact, they might just be doing something that's not correct uh, or misunderstood. I have a couple examples I'd like to talk about, and as the disclaimer at the beginning of the show indicates, these stories may or may not have happened to me, and may or may not have been modified over the years. So let's begin with the first one. I remember years ago, sitting uh, at the airport, ready to go, and as we're boarding, the flight attendant poked her head into the cockpit and said, uh, Captain, this guy's not listening to me. And the captain's like, what? And he's like, he's not listening to me. I told him he needs to move, and he's not listening to me. So the captain got out of his seat and took one step into the galley, and there was a passenger in the very first row of 1A, uh, dressed in a nice suit. Clearly, this person was a, a frequent flyer. And he, captain goes, uh, Captain, she wants me to move. I don't want to move. And the captain goes, okay, well, what seems to be the issue? He goes, I don't know. why. She just wants me to move. I don't want to move. This is the seat I paid for. This is the seat I want. So the captain goes, well, can I see your, your boarding card, please? And he's like, sure. So he looks at it. There's his name. It says he's a frequent flyer on it and one of the top tier frequent flyers at that. And he says, well, this is the seat you paid. I don't, uh, I think you're good. And he looked at the flight attendant like his there, you know, what's going on? You should always back up your crew. I wanted him to move to 3B and see he could have the whole row to himself. And, and what was really going on was that particular seat faced the flight attendant jump seat. And she didn't want this guy in her face. She wanted some space. So she wanted him to move because it was not a full flight and there were plenty of seats and she wanted him to move back a few rows into an aisle where he could have two seats together and no one was next to him. And he didn't want to move. 
So she came unglued. You should always back up your crew. And I don't know if I want to fly with you. And, and it was ugly. It was just an ugly scenario. And the captain says, well, you know, if, if you don't feel comfortable performing your duties or you have a problem with me, I'll be more than happy to make a phone call and see about having you replaced. But that's up to you because, you know, at the end of the day, we just, we need to go do our jobs and, and do our thing. And she kind of, you know, huffed and puffed a little bit and, and she calmed down and we continued our, our flying together. And at the end of the day, she was complaining out loud to us that we were in this crew van together going to the hotel. And she was saying, oh, you know, crew scheduling, they're just, they're not letting me drop my trip on the last day. And I told them I can't do that last turn. And they told me I had to do it because they didn't have anybody else to do it. And, and I just, that, you know, this is crap. And, you know, I, I should be able to drop that trip. And we're like, okay, yeah, you know, good luck with that. You know, hopefully they'll be able to accommodate you, but you know, if you got to do it, you got to do it. Right. You know, this, these things happen. So, you know, we went on, uh, the next day and of course it was one leg back to base and then this last turn of the trip. So we take off out of O'Hare and, uh, as soon as we rotated the aircraft, as we're lifting off, we hear a stunk, boom, and we're like, oh, what, what was that noise? And the captain knew exactly what had happened. He goes, oh, she fell. I'm like, she fell? She shouldn't be up. I mean, we're, okay, just let, let me fly the plane. So I flew the plane, you know, got up to altitude, the autopilot on, and now we had a, a moment. And as soon as we had a chance, within a minute or so, he calls back and says, are you okay, and she says, well, I, I fell. I fell and I hurt my arm. It's like, what do you mean you hurt your arm? Are you okay to continue or do we need to go back? How did you hurt your arm? She's like, well, I fell. It was slippery and I fell and I, I hurt my arm, hit the armrest and I hurt it. And he was like, well, should we turn back? And, you know, are you, how hurt are you? What, what does hurt mean? She was like, no, I can, I can continue to Chicago. I can do my duties. That's fine. But, you know, when we get to Chicago, I'm going to have to go to see the medical office to, to get removed from this flying because I don't think I can go on. And we both looked at each other like, you know, are you the same person that was complaining about doing this last flight just earlier, you know, a day ago? Okay. You know, whatever you need, if, if you need anything from us, let us know and we'll continue. And it was like a pretty short flight. I don't remember exactly where it was from and to, but uh, you know, 30 minutes later, we're on the ground and, you know, she goes off the plane. She's like, all right, it's bye. And <laughs> she's gone. We didn't see her anymore ever again. Uh, you know, she, she got out of that last turn. She hurt her arm. And, uh, you know, this is bad. <laughs> this is bad because, you know, maybe she legitimately fell. I hope, I hope, I hope that was the case. Uh, and that wasn't an intentional fall, uh, because that would just be stupid. Um, and fraud, <laughs> not to mention fraud, but yeah, so yeah, she fell and she got off that last leg. So, okay, Let, let's just chalk that one up to bad behavior. Uh, but it doesn't just stop there. Uh, I've had a couple other instances that I will gladly dive into. Uh, and I heard a story and firsthand 
from an individual that had uh, dealt with this. Now, there was a new hire that was uh, on Airport Ready, which uh, from previous episodes, if you've heard, Airport Ready is something that a lot of uh, regional airlines have in their schedule for pilots, which means uh, the low man on the totem pole or the low woman on the totem pole uh, would have to sit at the airport for a period of time, usually about six to eight hours, something like that. And you're sitting in the crew room or somewhere on airport property. And in case there is a misconnect or, uh, you know, a sick call or something, and they need a pilot to go fly something, uh, that pilot is on call, uh, not just on call at home, but on call at the airport. And this young individual, uh, new to the company, relatively young gentleman in his, uh, you know, mid twenties, uh, was at the airport and didn't get called on the first day. On the second day, he was assigned again on call. He was the junior man on the totem pole for that day as well. And he came to the airport and he had a problem signing into the computer, which is how we would sign in for uh, the trip. So that that's how they knew you were there. You signed in at, on one of the company computers and you they knew you were at the airport. So he decides to call them and says, hey, I had a problem signing in. Can you sign me in from, you know, from there for, for scheduling? And like, yeah, it's fine. You know, you know, here's the 800 number. Call the IT department. They can help you out and reset your password or whatever. He goes, oh, okay. So about halfway through the day, he's looking at the schedule. He's looking at the weather. He realizes uh, uh, they're not going to call me. There's, there's nothing available. Okay, so he, what does he do? He leaves early. He goes to his crash pad or whatever he goes. Uh, on the third day, he again was assigned on call. And this time he called from his crash pad and said, yeah, uh, I can't sign in again. I, I, I I'm no, don't know what I'm doing wrong here with my password, but it locked me out. Can you, can you just sign me in? And they're like, yeah, okay, fine. But I think on the third day, the crew scheduling was like, yeah, this, this, this smells funny. So about an hour later, they call him back and they're like, okay, we have a flight for you. It's leaving out of uh, gate, you know, G9. Uh, can you uh, head out that way? It's, uh, they're waiting for you. It's past departure. And he goes, oh, um, G9. Uh, okay. I can be there in like uh, 30 minutes. And like 30 minutes? Aren't you at the airport? He's like, well, uh, I was at the airport and then uh, I wasn't feeling too good. So uh, I had to use the bathroom and, and then it really, I, I just... I left the airport. I went to the crash pad, used the bathroom there. So I could be, I could come back, but it's, it's going to be at least 30 minutes for me to hop back on a bus and get back there. And they're like, Oh, okay. Well, that's not going to work for us. Uh, here's a missed assignment. Contact your chief pilot. So the chief pilot gets notified and uh, the union rep gets notified. And what ends up happening is this individual has to come into the chief pilot's office while on probation, mind you. And, has to explain himself and he goes well you know what happened was uh yeah i got to the airport and the first day they didn't call me i got to the airport the second day they didn't call me um i had, I had a problem signing in third day i really felt bad and uh, i must have had some food poisoning and, and i knew it wasn't going to be good and i didn't want to call him sick because i'm brand new i don't want to get in trouble so i i, I knew they weren't going to use me so i just went home and and to the crash pad and and they called me as soon as I walked in the door and and I just was in a bad spot and we're like well you know is this is this the story you're 
you're going to stick with, really? Is this the truth? And, you know, the union was involved, and they're like, well, you know, this is the story you told me, and this is the story that he told you, and this is the story he's telling through scheduling, so we, you know, should believe him. So I think he got a slap on the wrist. Uh, I, I wasn't there, you know, in the room, but I don't know. It definitely was a bad choice. And, you know, these kind of things happen. You know, people make mistakes. Uh, this individual is, I'm sure, back on the line, flying. I don't even know him personally, but uh, this story has has its merit, and, and I did get it from a good source. So uh, these kind of bad behaviors uh, definitely it's a matter of time and it's just a matter of time. Just be honest and, and don't try to pull a fast one, uh, on the company. Cause there's been many, many pilots that have come before you that have tried to pull, uh, faster ones than that. But it's not just FLs either. Uh, I'm going to say about 15 years ago, I am flying the line with a really cool guy, a really nice captain. And he's a Southern boy from Raleigh. And he and I laughed so hard flying together. He would tell the funniest jokes. We got along very well. And, you know, he had this Southern accent and really could find a way to just tell a really good joke and on one of our layovers we get to the layover it's late at night it's uh it's an outstation meaning uh it's not a base or a big airport it's a small airport uh, somewhere and we have to shut down the aircraft for the night and secure it and and my job at the time as a first officer at that time uh, was to conclude a pre-flight or a, a post-flight uh, with, uh, you know, a good flashlight go around, make sure that the airplane doesn't have any leaks or didn't hit a bird or any damage, you know, uh, tires look good, you know, landing gear looks good, everything, uh, all latches, uh, secured, but it's a relatively brief, uh, post-flight. So I come back in and I put away all my stuff and, and I'm on the jet bridge with the flight attendant waiting to walk up the jet bridge and, you know, head to the curb and go to the hotel. And my captain uh, was still in the cockpit. I'm like, oh, what's, what's he doing in there? Do you know? And the flight attendant says, I, I don't know. He's been in there a while. I'm like, okay, maybe he found something wrong with the airplane. And he's writing it up. Let me, let me go check on him. So I walk back onto the aircraft and the cockpit door was kind of closed. So I grab the cockpit door, I open it and it hits me like a ton of bricks. The smell was just awful it was like a dead body was in there and i was like oh my god rob what the hell man and he's like oh i'm sorry i'm sorry you were that's not for you that's not for you i was leaving something for the morning crew please don't say anything please don't say anything he turns beet red he is so embarrassed he just freaking ripped the nastiest fart that i have ever smelled in my life and i was like 
my God, I'm covering my mouth. I said, Rob, did you freaking kill it before you ate it? What's wrong with you, man? And he's just like, so embarrassed. He's like, oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. That's not for you. It was, it was, I was leaving him a present for the morning. I was like, Rob, man, you need to go see a doctor. Come on, man. And <laughs> we laughed so hard. He goes, promise me you won't say anything to the flight attendant. I, it's just, just, you weren't supposed to ever hear, know or smell that. I'm like, dude, that, that's just wrong. That's wrong what are you doing, man? It's wrong. He's like, no, man, it's just for the morning crew. It's just, you know, they can, they're not going to be out here in a few hours. And I think it's going to still smell. I like, just been eating a lot of beans lately. <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah, I'm like, okay, fine, dude, that's awful. And you know, I never really, <laughs> I never looked at him the same way ever again. <laughs> it was bad. So yeah, th- that's some, Stinky shit. Right there. <laughs> and that's all good-hearted and everything, but you know sometimes you're put in a situation where pilots are behaving badly, and it affects you. It affects you. It affects your crew. It affects your passengers and the safety of flight operations and I hope that no one really has to go through that but it's actually an absolute fact of life. Now I had a situation uh, allegedly that I'm more than happy to talk about and it's a great story about years ago. So I was flying with a captain that I admire tremendously. I've flown with him Probably, if we uh, accumulate all the days and and trips that we've done together, probably a good six months together. Uh, Really nice guy. Uh, We're going to call him Captain Jimmy because he reminds me of Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Tall, slender, relatively good-looking older guy, and really smart, very articulate, and just the kind of guy you want to hang out with and have a conversation with. So I'm hanging out. with with my captain Jimmy and uh his wife is actually our flight attendant and usually is they they were doing what's called buddy bidding where uh you both bid the same schedule and you know once you have enough seniority usually it works out so uh buddy bid uh with his wife all the time so the three of us uh became very good friends and uh he leans over to me on on one of my trips and says hey uh Tony I'm going to be heading to Dallas tonight instead of flying with you to Columbus because I have to do a PC in the morning. And uh, back in the day, we had these things called proficiency checks. And once a year or once every so many months, a captain would have to go back to Dallas, uh, where, which is where our headquarters is uh, at Legacy Airlines. And uh, they would have to go into the simulator and do a check to make sure that they're still proficient in you know emergency drills and emergency procedures. So it's not a big deal. It happens all the time. And, and he's like, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to travel to Dallas tonight instead of going to Columbus with you. And you're going to have a reserve captain with you. I said, okay. And he goes, um, he's a new captain. He's on reserve. And, uh, I flew with him years and years ago. And I'm not going to tell you anything about him because I don't want to, uh, have you come up with some kind of, uh, prejudices, but, I'm just curious how it is flying with him because I've heard th- some things and and I, I respect your opinion. You're, you're a pretty fair guy. You know, just curious. 
And I said, well, okay, uh, Captain Jim, uh, this guy better not be a total dick because if he is, you know, you're buying all the beers next week. That's all I got to say. And he laughed. He's like, okay, calm down. He's like, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. You know, you're, you're a smart guy. You're, you know, you're, you, you'll figure it out. And, uh, I'm like, okay, I'll give you a fair assessment. Um, and so we're sitting there at the gate and he's seeing us off because his flight is later on in the evening and, and, uh, we're leaving out. And just to paint the picture, it's a winter evening out of Chicago, flying Chicago to Columbus, relatively short flight over Columbus. There's a layer of icing from 4,000 feet to 8,000 feet of known icing. And so we knew we we're going to have a little bit of a, you know, wintry conditions and winter weather conditions on the approach and arrival. So, uh, we're standing there at the gate and I hear a, a voice from uh, a person behind us going, ah, Jimmy, ah, good. Uh, so I get to, uh, fly and sleep with your wife tonight. Huh? <laughs> and oh, we just turned around like, what the, what the hell are you saying? Jimmy's wife turns around, looks at him and like, oh God, you know, she, she dealt with this guy before. And I'm like, who is this guy? You know, relatively short guy, silver hair, silver mustache and the hat. Yes, folks, the trifecta. We have talked about the trifecta before. Uh, You know, an FO once told me, uh, yeah, if you have silver hair and a silver mustache and and you wear the captain's hat, you're automatically kind of an asshole. And I was like, what? So, yeah, it's called the trifecta. I was like, oh, thanks. You know, I I don't have a mustache, so there you go. Uh, Plus, I'm not a captain anymore. So, there you go there. Anyway, uh, so, (laughs) so this guy comes up, he says these things, and Jimmy just kind of smirks at him like, okay, enough, you know, what's going on? And I I look at Jimmy and I go, you know, I'm going to go down to the airplane and pre-flight it, you know, have a good PC. It's already, okay, this guy's kind of pissed me off, rubbed me the wrong way and, you know, fine. So uh, Jimmy's wife and I go down to the aircraft and I do my pre-flight, do my walk around, I get back in, I get all the the flight management system loaded up. I, I, I basically have everything ready to go. And when this new captain, uh, reserve captain, uh, gets in the cockpit, uh, he goes, ah, you're not one of these new hire pukes, are you? I'm like, excuse me? He says, yeah, new hire puke, you know, these 300 hour wonders that freaking don't know what the hell they're doing and can't talk on the radio. I'm like, well, uh, no, I've been here for quite a few years and have some couple thousand hours on this airplane at the time, you know, that's what I had. And uh, I'm like, no. And he goes, oh, okay, good. You know, let's just get there, okay? It's a short overnight. Let's just get there. I'm like, okay. So in the process of him, you know, setting up his cockpit, he's given me his entire resume and telling me how he's God's gift to aviation and, you know, he was in the Marines and he was a, an A-4 driver, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, so I'm like, okay, uh, Captain, thanks uh, for that uh, information. He goes, well, it's your leg. I'm like, well, actually, I, I just, I flew two already today. So um, if you don't mind, you know, I'd rather just be pilot monitoring, work the radios and whatnot. And he's like, no, 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 uh, I always want to see what I'm dealing with. You're flying. I'm like, well, okay, I see how this is going to go. So we push off the gate and no big deal. And we push off the gate and there's another aircraft that's pushing in unison with us, uh, kind of more shallow in the alley. And so they're in front of us basically, 
uh, and this individual that was on the radios was struggling a little bit. I mean, it was late at night, you know, it was, and he just comes unglued, my captain. He goes, ah, gosh, damn it, damn it. This guy, he's, he can't talk on the damn radio, and, and he's going to fumble it all up, and we're going to be following him because that flight's going to Cleveland, and we're going to Columbus, and we're going to, they're in front of us now. And I'm like, whoa, 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 Captain, uh, you know, please uh, calm down. This not a big deal. It's late. You know, they're tired. I've been flying all day. You know, I, I can feel it too, you know. Let's just get there, you know. And he's like, well, you know, I just, I just can't stand people that can't talk on the radio. It's like, well, okay, all right. So, you know, push off, go, you know, we take off the whole flight. He's telling me how, you know, he's been flying airplanes for so long and and how the way they train us in the schoolhouse to fly this airplane is all wrong and all the speeds that they've trained us to fly and approach at are all wrong and we drag in airplanes in and one of these days there's going to be a big smoking hole in the ground and it's going to be a plane at the bottom of it from our regional airline and and you know it's just because these people don't know how to fly and they can't talk on the radio so i was like kind of just tune this guy out a little bit so when we're at cruise altitude i it's time for me to brief the approach and the arrival. So I'm briefing him on the intent that I have to fly this approach into Columbus. And I tell him, look, okay, we have, we know about the weather. We know about the, uh, the IFR condition with the icing. And once we get, uh, it's instrument flight rules, by the way, uh, if you can't see, uh, the ground or the, the, um, the airport, you know, you have to fly via instruments, instrument flight rules apply. So, uh, so our IMC instrument meteorological conditions, either way, uh, depending on what you're talking about. So I brief him on like, yeah, we're going to come in on this arrival. And when we get to the vector, uh, the air, air traffic control is going to give us a heading. We're going to come out probably about 10 miles out before they turn us in. That's a relatively normal procedure in Columbus. And we're going to land on the North parallel runway. Uh, we'll pick up the airport visually below 3,000 feet, and we'll continue on the ILS. And if we have to do a go-around, I brief the go-around procedure and, you know, everything, performance, landing performance. So he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. So we're we're still on with the arrival controller, and we're on this arrival, and we're still up above all the weather, the clouds, the freezing precipitation. And they give us lower, and he says, well, can we get pause discretion on that? And I think, oh, okay, he's, he's asking for pause discretion. You know, that's a good idea. Why get into the icing condition if you don't have to? Let's just wait till we can get low enough to where we can just punch through it. And once we're beneath it, then, you know, we can configure the airplane for landing and we're good to go. Why stick all these, uh, you know, the boards out, uh, the flaps and the ailerons that are, you know, we don't want to get icing on those surfaces and, and, um, uh, so let's just wait until we can punch through it in clean configuration with the flaps up and the gear up. And then once we're through it, then we can drop all that stuff and land. That way we don't accumulate ice. And uh, so I'm I'm like, okay, he's kind of redeeming himself. But the whole time he's telling me how, you know, air, it, too many people are letting air traffic control dictate how they fly the airplane. And you need to fly the airplane and you need to tell air traffic control the way you want to fly it. And, and I'm like, okay, all right, okay. So finally I was like, okay, I got to start down. So I start down. And I'm on a downwind leg and an IMC at night with anti-icing on in icing conditions. And everything's going exactly as I briefed it. 
And uh, he goes, just, you know, get down, get down. And I was like, what, what? You know, get down, get down. So just as he says that, he gets on the radio and he goes, ah, uh, can we get lower for uh, for uh, regional uh, one, two, three? He's like, uh, sure, uh, regional one, two, three, does that maintain 3,000 feet? Ah, huh, 3,000, okay. So he's, he's like, get down, get down. I'm like, what the hell? You know, this guy talking about get down. So just as he says that, you know, I do my best to slow the airplane down when you have anti-icing on. Uh, it actually revs up the engines, the, the the turbines, a little bit higher RPM than normal. So it's a little bit more difficult to slow down and to, to descend at the same time. So, but we were still on profile. Everything was looking good. And he gets on the radio without saying a word and says, oh, well, we can take a base leg. We'll, we'll take a, a 180 heading. I'm like, what? What are you doing? You know, and the tower controller goes, oh, do, do you have the airport in sight oh we're gonna get it any minute just just give us a give us a space like and we weren't even four miles from the airport we were less than halfway from when we normally would turn inbound and something happened to me i just you know i my attitude was pretty calm up till then but you know i started to think you know this guy i can fly this airplane you know i'll show you you know you know i'm not gonna let you uh, dictate how I fly, but at the same time, you know, you want me to turn? Fine, I'll freaking turn. Okay, which was my first mistake. So we turned the aircraft into a base leg, which is uh, basically on a 90 degree angle to the final approach. And now I'm like, okay, I, I have no choice. I have to dirty up the configuration of the aircraft. So gear down, you know, flaps and you know, speed brakes, and I'm you know, slow, doing my best to slow down and, and descend and and just as we're popping out of the clouds, normally our traffic control at that point at our distance from the runway would say, okay, do you have a runway in sight? Make a, make a right turn, uh, you know, heading in this and intercept uh, the localizer, fly inbound, and clear the visual or clear the ILS, whatever. And some other aircraft came on the frequency going, oh, yeah, Cessna 123 uh, coming in from the south at the... Uh, 2500 and this you know young pilot is is doing his best to to navigate this uh heavy uh you know traffic airport especially in the evening and winter he's under the cloud deck coming in vfr and the captain looks at me and goes turn 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 you're gonna overshoot final just turn I'm like sir, sir we're on a heading he's like just turn the airplane you don't tell atc doesn't tell you what to do you you fly this airplane you're in control of this airplane not atc I'm like, oh my god so i'm like oh, dude we're ifr we're on a heading and so just then uh, air traffic control you know the guy stops talking and air traffic control says uh, you know uh, a regional one two three uh make an immediate right turn uh intercept the localizer do you have the airport site and so i uh, you know, make a, a nice sharp bank turn and and we were slow enough and had enough energy and made a nice sharp bank turn to to get on final we're all stabilized uh within 2000 feet uh from the runway and so everything was was performed within the stable approach criteria as we call it but it wasn't pretty and you know he's just like just non-stop he's like uh, you don't, you don't uh, wait for ATC to tell you, you, you got to fly this airplane and, and you overshot and you were going to land on the wrong runway. I've landed on the wrong runway here before and, and it's easy to do. And I did, I did it once, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I landed on the wrong runway here and, and you were going to do the same thing and, and you can't, you know, I was just, oh my God, this guy is like, he just seems to shut up. And so I continued the approach and just about at a thousand feet, everything was looking real nice. 
and we have what's called a pitch limit indicator on that aircraft on our primary instrument uh, display. And what it says is if you pitch the aircraft up right now uh, beyond, uh, I think it was 15 or 16 degrees at that point, that you can stall the airplane. But we weren't pitched anywhere near there. We were on a normal descent, pitched at about two degrees above the horizon, coming in nice and easy on, on speed, on approach. And uh, he goes, get rid of that. I'm like, what? Why, why are you yelling at me? Get rid of that rake of death. You're not using the forward energy of the aircraft. You need to get rid of it. You're flying this airplane all wrong. And so he's just barking at me. And I'm like seeing red. I'm so pissed at this guy. He's he's doing everything wrong. He's saying everything wrong. So to appease him, I, I kind of bring up the power a little bit, get a little fast, uh, you know, and still able to salvage the approach and you know landed in the touchdown zone it was a okay landing it wasn't great but i wasn't going for great i was just trying to get it in the touchdown zone because this guy is trying to get me to to overspeed and 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 you know become unstable and i wouldn't let him so as the mains touched down the nose gear didn't even come down yet and he goes oh, well they can't all be good I'm like, oh my God, this guy. At this point, I hear whistling in my ears. The steam's coming out. And he's just like nonstop. You, you got to use a forward energy. And I thought you were in a hurry when this is a short overnight. And you were going to use a brake maneuver and get out of the weather and get in the visual. And you, you're, just, you're just dragging it in. You're doing what everybody else does. And he was just nonstop. This went on as we got to the gate, as we walked to the jet bridge, as we got on the hotel van, as we continued to the hotel. Finally, you know, I got to my room, I shut the door, I almost slammed the door, I was so angry, and and I I called home, and I said uh, to my wife, you know, this guy is freaking driving me nuts, and I was just like yelling in the phone, and and my wife stops me and goes, can he hear you? I'm like, I don't give a if if he can hear me or not, you know, this asshole, and she's like, wait a minute, hold up, You, you know, you're getting all worked up. You don't want to do that. You know, do you have to fly with them again? And I said, well, tomorrow I have one leg back to Chicago in the morning. She's like, well, you're, you're an adult. You're mature. You're better than this. Just show up, do your job, you know, talk only about the checklist and, the, and your job, and then you probably will never have to fly with them again. I said, yeah, you're right. But it just, I'm just angry because he put me in a situation where I was flying the airplane the way he wanted it which was not right, and I should have stopped it. I should have stopped it earlier. I should have told him, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, you know, there's a lot of things I could have done. And I just, I kind of let it get way beyond where my comfort zone was. She's like, well, just just show up, do your job. So the next morning I show up, have hand time, and he looks at me and he goes, oh, uh, 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 Tony, uh, you're, you're here. Like, uh, yeah, why wouldn't I be? Because, well, you know, I was kind of hard on you last night, and, you know, I, was, I don't want you to think I was yelling at you. Just, you know, sometimes, I, you know, my mouth gets going, and, you know, I just, I just keep going. And, and you know, I'm just trying to teach you, you know, and you're, you're just using the forward You weren't using the forward energy of the aircraft. And, you know, but that, that's beside. I'm like, you know what? I just put my hands up. I said, stop. I said, look, I'm a professional. we got a job to do. Let's just go fly the airplane. When we get to Chicago, I never have to see you again. And that's fine. <laughs> he shut up. He didn't say a word to me. And he was an angel the whole way. He didn't say a thing. 
got to Chicago, didn't, you know, ran the checklist, packed up my shit, walked off the plane and didn't say a word. And the following week, I'm in the crew room and I'm, you know, picking up paperwork and, and signing in for my trip. And I can hear Jimmy come up behind me and he says, Tony, you know, my wife can hear everything uh, that is being said in the cockpit when she's in the jump seat. And she heard everything last night or, you know, last week. And uh, she told me about it. I was like, you know. Jimmy, I, I don't like you very much right now. You know, you could have warned me a little bit better, but I, I don't know if that would have even done anything. He's like, dude, he goes, don't worry about it, man. I'm going to, I'm going to hook you up and dinner drinks on me all week. And he goes, why didn't you report him? And I said, because, you know, he, he pushed me into a hazardous attitude. I should have immediately said, no, that's not right. I'm not going to do that. And, or I could have got on the radio and said, nope, nope, we don't want to turn. We want to continue, you know, something. I, there's so many things I could have done that would have prevented him pushing me to do something that was basically hot-dogging uh, the airplane in, you know. And it just what irks me the most is not the fact that he is who he is and did what he did, but the fact that he pushed me into a situation that I didn't feel comfortable with. And, you know, the learning point in the whole story was that I learned that I'm never going to let somebody push me into a, a situation that is not right. That is not safe. It's not that it was never really unsafe. It's just that it, it was like hot dogging it, you know, it's like making steep bit turns and, you know, leveling off, the airplane steeply. I mean, you have people in the back and, you know, you're in charge of making the ride as smooth as possible. And, you know, having a little extra speed, there's nothing wrong with that if the conditions, you know, dictate. And we were never really unstable. We were always within uh, the stable criteria. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, I should have done a go around or anything like that. But it, it was not in my, my zone of comfort. Uh, the way I like to fly, the way I like to operate. So uh, I learned a lesson and I knew that if I, you know, made it a complaint that really I was going to be in trouble too, or at least talk to about it. And, you know, so what's the lesson? The lesson is don't let someone, regardless of rank and file, push you in a situation you know is wrong or unsafe. The best thing to do is to kind of think about well, if this happens to me, how am I going to react? Um, we always have the power of the radio. Uh, as uh, a first officer, you're not in command. But if you know a safety violation is happening or potentially could happen, you're still responsible. And if you agree to it and you, you know, continue into an unsafe or, or even verse a, a violation of some kind, an FAA violation, you're just as guilty if you go along with it, even if you disagree. Well, I disagree with what you're doing, but you still continued and you didn't do anything to interrupt it. Well, you're still guilty. So you got to figure out what you're going to do. And if you talk about things like this and you think about it ahead of time, when the situation presents itself, you'll be better prepared. And that's, I wasn't prepared. And after that event happened, uh, I had a long conversation uh, with myself about, what I would do in the future if it happened again. So as an aviator, we always have to be prepared for 
unusual, un unexpected uh, events. And having a pilot, uh, captain or not, uh, push you into a situation where you know it's not right or you don't feel comfortable with the most popular words that I used to uh, instill in my first officers was if you feel uncomfortable with anything, all you have to say is, Captain, I don't feel comfortable with this. And trust me, I will listen. So that's it for this show. <laughs> we, we didn't even get to half of the topics that I wanted to discuss. But hey, that just means more information for the future. Well, that's going to do it for episode 11 of Squawk Ident. I'd like to take this opportunity and thank you, the listener, for listening in and uh, subscribing. Uh, I really would appreciate feedback, and there are many ways that you can do that. Uh, the first thing I do is encourage you to visit www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha Victor 8 Romeo Tango Oscar November Yankee.com. From there, you can contribute to the podcast. You can send us feedback uh, through the Contact Us portal. You can also listen to content and visit the Pilot Shop. Uh, more designs coming soon on the Pilot Shop, so stay tuned for that. Also, you can listen to us on Anchor.fm or the Anchor app on your smartphone or device. Facebook users, Squawk Ident uh, is a great way to stay in touch and see content like videos and photos from the flight line and even from future shows. Instagram, you can find us at Squawk Ident Podcast for the latest photos and flight line news. On Twitter, you can find us at Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident Podcast as well. So, again, thank you for listening. And uh, future episodes, we'll be discussing more bad behavior. Uh, that seems to be a, a common uh, response uh, from the viewers that they like to hear the stories about the things that are going on in the flight deck. And uh, that's why the disclaimer is at the beginning of the show. So stay tuned. And episode 12 is coming soon. I would like to take this time to thank all of you for listening to this grateful aviator. Keep the dirty side down, be safe, and take care of each other. <laughs>